Welcome to the Powercast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. It's an absolute pleasure today to have the hypertrophy coach, aka Joe Bennett, on the podcast. So, an absolute legend, someone I really look up to in terms of training knowledge and the way he carries and portrays himself as a real family man, as well as we just briefly discussed off air. So, um, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, Joe, you want to give us a brief run rundown? Yeah, yeah, I always try and give the brief rundown. I don't think I've ever done a brief one. Um, but I always say that too. I think it's kind of important for anybody that doesn't know. My background is, um, I mean, as far as, you know, the world of anything fitness or bodybuilding, muscle building, um, I've kind of been in every spot to a certain degree. Um, and so kind of the same thing. I played sports growing up. Um, I remember a combination of I had a, one of my, my track coaches basically said, go in the weight room and start working out because somehow that was going to make us better at track. And I just used to bench, just used to bench press and curl the whole time. <laughs> I used to joke with my friends as I'm Good curling. Run. I was like, yeah, this is going to make me run faster. And, um, and at the same time, I remember my brother had the uh, Arnold's Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding. So it's like a combination of the two. Um, you know, I was always like kind of fascinated with bodybuilding, like right away, especially seeing that, you know, anyone that hasn't seen that book had bodybuilders basically from the 60s through, you know, the 90s in it. Um, and I just liked training right away. I just kind of have a certain type of personality where, like I get obsessed with things. And so literally like I, I, before I, ever, I never really thought about even necessarily getting muscle in the first place. I just like getting stronger, you know, so just the point of going in and trying to lift more weight every single time. And so the combination of from when I first started when I was probably about 15, um, I just went like OCD obsessed with it. So that I have like a decade of like every bodybuilding magazine. I spent all my money getting it. Um, I was at one point in time for a good solid two years when I was in high school training twice or no, excuse me, three times a day. So I'd train in a class during school. I would train after school. I would go to my, my job and then I'd train at another gym at like at the end of the day. That, that's a standard day would be like bench press for an hour during school, you know, do more chest for like an hour and a half after school and then finish like chest, shoulders and triceps. I did like a push, pull, lower split um, one day. later on in the evening. Yeah, all in one day. And, uh, and the funny thing is I joke, it's like I graduated high school, same height I am now. I'm like 5'11". And, um, I graduated high school around 150 pounds, so I don't think I actually put on any muscle <laughs> during that period of time. Um, I just liked working. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't sleep much because I was in high school. I didn't, didn't sleep a whole lot, and uh, I didn't really eat anything. Uh, I just liked training. So I always say, still to this day, I love everything about training. Um, and then I went to school, uh, was business for a little bit, pre-physical therapy for a little bit, and then finished doing like a degree in exercise science. Um, and then at that point in time was the first time I started like connecting the dots with nutrition. So I actually, like my first year of college, like within like eight months, I put on about 30 pounds. Um, and all I was doing was, you know, eating literally like the 6,000 calories a day. Still to this day, I've never eaten that much food. Uh, and I was sleeping like 10 to 12 hours a night. I had a cake schedule. You know, I was in school, I had a part-time job in classes, but didn't have anything else to do. So I just, uh, just ate and slept. And I was training twice a day. Then I toned it down the overtraining from three times to twice a day. Was your training, did your training actually like change much during that period? Or do you think it was just the, the food coming in? that suddenly allowed the huge growth? I think it was, I mean, the, the most massive difference for sure was the food and sleep. I mean, so I was in high school, I was probably, the, you know, sleeping six hours a night and I literally slept 10 to 12 hours a night in college. And, and yeah, the food was massive. I mean, I had like a meal plan and I was cool. I would eat a meal when I was actually in the dining hall and they'd let you take a meal with you. So I'd legit eat six meals a day. And the whole, I didn't really have, my whole notion then was like, I would eat as much protein as I could first and then just put whatever else on top of that. <laughs> And I remember at some point in time trying to kind of calculate the calories. And my training was kind of always, I always had the notion that I never was training the best. Uh, so I always kind of had the idea of I was always reading, you know, especially when I first started it was magazines and then the internet was obviously massive before like social media. So I'd read whatever I could read anywhere I could read it. Um, yeah, so it was a combination. Uh, but honestly, yeah, toning back the training, I was training. I made great progress with two days uh, for about, you know, a year or two into college. Uh, again, when my recovery was there. And then in school, you know, when I finally kind of figured out, I think what I kind of thought I wanted to do, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with an exercise science degree. It just had the word exercise in it. So I was like, well, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> and, um, and so I started training a little bit when I was at school. So I actually started personal training when I was 20. Um, they had like a personal training program at, I went to University of Florida and they had a training program there where you basically just trained other students. Um, so at least gave me some exposure to training other human beings. And then right out of school, I had a brief stint in kind of corporate wellness, uh, which was not for me. And then I had someone basically just offer me a job as a trainer. 
And um, I thought I would do it as a part-time job because I didn't really know that you could make a living being a trainer. And I had some great people uh, I got exposed to there that really taught me like the business of training. So I had like a couple years where all I thought about was like just professionalism, how to actually present your value, how to present things to clients. You know, for lack of a better word, there's like a sales component, obviously, to being able to, to communicate with people, understand what they're actually there for, and then articulate, you know, what it is, is they actually want to hear that's going to help them get where they need to be. Um, so I had a couple years of just pure business focus, um, you know, building my clientele, uh, training full time. Uh, and then I started managing um, the club that I was in as well, too. So I managed trainers from, I'm trying to remember when that was, maybe like 2008 all the way through maybe 2015 or so. Um, I was always training and doing like managing departments of training as well, too. Somewhere along the roads in there, I had a combination where I kind of ran out of continuing education within the company. Uh, the guy that was the president of the company at that point in time knew Charles Falkwin. And so he was the guy I would always pick his brain about, like everything at some point in time. He's like, man, I got a full-time job. You know, you're going to have to go get this somewhere else. And that's the first reason I went and started doing stuff with Paulquin. Um, basically, I did, um, i trying to remember everything that I did. His, um, I don't remember, it was just called like level one and two trainer things. He had a whole bunch of extra stuff I did. He had little corrective courses. He did this biosignature or bioprint, changed the name a couple of times. I took that course three times. Somewhere along the way in there, then I got involved with RTS, did some stuff with MAT, FRC, a couple other crappy ones along the way. Um, yeah. And that was just a big thing for me when I finally got into that. It, it kind of just fed, uh, went in the theme of like knew it, knowing that I wanted to get better. But it was really when I started to go into that stuff where I realized I needed to get better from actual other coaches. So for me, I didn't really go to take Paul Quinn cert because I wanted like the Paul Quinn certification. I wanted to be taught by Paul Quinn. You wanted that skill <laughs> set almost. Yeah. Well, for me, that's the filter for me is, um, I, I didn't, I didn't think I really wanted to be a strength coach. I mean, I knew I still had a, a passion for kind of bodybuilding and training physique athletes. And so his skill set as a strength coach is very different than what I do in a lot of ways. Um, but just being, you know, that was the filter I needed for knowledge. Like someone that actually worked with people. Um, you know, I had respect for Paul and obviously being in shape himself, you know, so some of those things where it's like all this knowledge and information is great and it has a place but I always needed to basically come through a coach that I had, you know, respect for, for actually doing something with it, actually applying it. Uh, and so that's whenever I would take certifications and stuff after that is I, you know, even when I go through RTS now, I only go to RTS really to like talk to Tom, you know, when he's Tom Perps, this is the guy who created RTS and I just want to learn directly from him. Um, so that was just the thing. Once I got into my first one, I just kind of told myself I would make myself do a certain amount of continuing education every year, which I've still done. And then also then at some point in time, as much as I loved bodybuilding, I never thought I would compete. And for anybody that knows, I, I've competed a little bit as well, too. Um, I had a, a client basically talk me into doing my first show. Just a guy that was kind of a normal client that I just got kind of an amazing, you know, everyday walk around shape in such good shape that he's like, man, I want to compete. He's like, the whole stipulation is that, you know, you need to do it with me. And I was like, <laughs> crap. And because still to this day, man, I love, I love the nuts and bolts of prep much more than actually getting on stage. Um, but I've actually come to like everything about it. I mean, I like getting on stage. I like presenting your physique, uh, but it's still at its core. I like the training. I like the challenge of it. The process. So even during, yeah. The process. I mean, during prep, I mean, I like training, you know, I like seeing the body change, you know, I like to a certain degree, everyone I think that competes has some sort of mental problem. Uh, where you, <laughs> like, you like enduring pain. You like to see what you're capable of doing. And uh, so that's, yeah, that was part of it. I just really like that part. And then it's for me too, is like, I've always been obsessed with making progress with my physique. I don't think I have amazing genetics for putting on muscle. So it was like, I remember early on, like all my training partners, everyone I ever trained with got bigger, faster than me. And I had that uh, initial like emotional response, like, man, this sucks. Like what the hell's going on? And um, I still have a little bit of that in my head today for sure. But it's really that I, I kind of thought at some point in time, I was like, well, you know what? If I keep going, eventually I'll be kind of big. I mean, even if it happens slower than everybody else. And, uh, and I, I just have a brain for that type of stuff. I don't know if that's good or bad. It's like monotonous stuff where it's like, if it's just, you know, step one, step two, step three, I don't care if there's 8,000 steps, I'll right. happily go along the steps as long as some progress is occurring. Um, and so that was the thing that was competing was a great extension for me as well, too, was um, for me, stage shots are the ultimate progress, you know, because everybody now is like, oh, I hit, like the first bunch of times I hit these body weights, like the first time I hit 180 pounds, 190 pounds, 200 pounds. I'm pretty sure it was like after I chugged a gallon of milk or something. And I was like, yeah, I hit 200 pounds. <laughs> and then, um, but the reality is, like, well, how much actual tissue do I have? How much is my body actually training? And again, for people that have competed, I mean, when you're dieted down, depleted, you know, and you're under those stage lights, there's no forgiveness. Uh, so, you know, am I actually changing my body? Am I actually making progress? Uh, and I love that. And 
I just thought it would make me a better coach as well too. You know, so there's a big thing of, I, I had prepped some people prior to competing, but absolutely going through myself several times just gives me a much better idea of what's going on. Cause as much as bodybuilders are robots, you know, we still have emotional reasons why we do the things that we do. So. It gives that mental connection to understand mentally what they're going through and like managing yeah. in that respect rather than it's very easy just to give them a diet. You have to be a bit more understanding sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think we live in a day and age where, I mean, I joke, man, people, uh, people talk about competing sometimes casually, you know, like they're going to compete, like they're going to go do like a 5k charity walk over the weekend or something like, yeah, you know, I'll just compete. It's just something to do. And like on paper competing is like, it's stupid. It's like the dumbest thing ever. It's bad for you. It's painful. Like, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot for the person to have to deal with to actually go through the whole process healthily, both physically and mentally. And so whenever I talk to people about competing, you know, the whole first beginning conversation is essentially sounds like I'm trying to talk them out of it because it is, it's everything about it's stupid. But the whole thing is if you have good reasons for going through this stupid challenging process, it can obviously be a great thing. I mean, I think that's bodybuilding at its, at its core is just to go through things that other people don't want to do, you know, kind of do stuff that's uh yeah, to try and, you know, endure some suffering, see what you're capable of, things like that, just to kind of get people out of their comfort zone and, and again, learn something about themselves, both physically and mentally. Uh, but a lot of people just jump into it casually, don't really even think about why they're doing what they're doing. And those are the people that I think one can, can physically wreck themselves, but also come out the other side. And it's these people that like hate competing. Oh, I had this horrible experience. I had this, I had that. And some of it obviously is lack of knowledge. Sometimes, of course, there's not the best coaches out there sometimes. But some of it, too, is people don't take a whole lot of ownership of what they're really actually getting into and, uh, and really think about why am I doing the things that I'm doing, what actually is the motivation and, you know, all that kind of stuff behind my actions. And so the, the, the wrap-up of my bio, if there is still a wrap-up, is um, I, I moved up. I'm in Tampa area now, Tampa, Florida. I moved up to Tampa in, like, 2015. Uh, at that point in time, I was helping Ben Pikulski kind of open his gym, uh, the MI40 gym. Uh, it's his gym and everything. I was just kind of there from the start of it. Uh, so I worked there for about uh, three or so years and um, the great kind of next step I'd known Ben for a couple years prior to that had been his training partner uh, basically on the weekends and just be someone to like beat up on legs along the way <laughs> and then um, for the past couple of years I've just been kind of doing my own thing it's still in the Tampa area and uh, and so yeah I mean I'm just kind of if I, there's my passion now is I still I work with a lot of bodybuilders I always like to say I'm uh, I like to kind of have like a consultation role yeah. Um, where it's again at the, at the core of being a coach or whatever you want to call the word. I mean, I think people put a whole lot of different connotation and add things to words now just because of what they see. So it's kind of a silly thing, but I, I like to say that I consult because a lot of coaching implies, you know, ownership or this, some sort of like stamp of this is my person. This is whatever. More advisory. And yeah. And I don't like, yeah, I just like to help. I mean, it sounds silly, but it's like I, the reason there's a whole lot of reasons to, I like to help is one. Because that's, again, at, at, at its core is what a, a coach or a trainer is supposed to do. But also, too, I don't like to, I don't like to have extend myself and imply things are going to happen that aren't actually going to happen. <laughs> you know, because I'll tell people right away when I work with them the first time, you know, we go through the session, we work on this body part you want to work on, whatever. You know, some people imply to me that, like, it was this life-changing session. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Was it that good? I don't know. And then some people, I'm fine if they go through and they maybe take one thing. You know, I could say 10 things. and like, well, nine of that was crap or it's not going to help me in any way. It could either be bad information. Maybe I articulate it poorly. Maybe they didn't receive it well. But even if somebody takes one good thing away from a session, then I'm like, well, that's, that's the point. I don't need to say that, oh, I'm my coach. This is my system. This is my way. Everything I do is infallible, you know, and you're my, my person. So do all this. Um, I just like to keep it. I like to keep it again, more like, oh, well, let's give whatever information I can give help as much as I want to help. And that way you kind of fit the role better for certain people, you know, because some people just want one or two things. And then some people kind of want me to do everything. And um, so that's kind of what I'm doing full-time-ish now, you know. It's awesome. I, I like the way you're trying to explain this. It's similar like I, um, I had the pleasure of spending some time with Milo Sarchev recently. And he speaks very much in a similar respect of like, this is the information I'll provide you. And I'll teach you what I know. And you interpret it how you feel suits you best rather than it's my way or the highway, which is like yeah. something I approach it a little bit. Um, yeah, and I, I try and that's the half of it is going through the whole process. I mean, at the end of the day, obviously, a good coach ultimately has to produce a lot of results with clients. Um, but I still think, you know, using yourself to some degree is great because if you know your actual actions and if you've really been giving it your all for 10, 20, 30 years as a coach, you're going to have a, a good understanding of obviously you're, you're the only person that knows inside your brain. You don't know inside your client's brains. 
And so it's the same with information. I mean, I look at all the different times over the course of my career, you know, one as a coach, but then two is just someone that likes to train. And I look at all the different ways I've received information. And, um, and sometimes I was presented great information that I just wasn't in a spot to actually, you know, hear or use well. Um, and then sometimes I just needed to kind of sit on it for a while. Sometimes I needed to make it my own. And then sometimes it's, I'll have this great information now. So I'll go through courses all the time and I'll get information and I'll just let it sit in my brain <laughs> and it'll be there. I don't actually have to feel like I've got to do all this stuff with it right away. And then over time you can actually see, well, you know, it's got to go through that filter of like, how am I actually going to kind of incorporate this in my training? How am I going to, how would I incorporate this with a client without just bogging them down with like, oh, here's all this shit I got to do now where things get overwhelming and all that kind of stuff. So that's the way I look at it. That's my big thing always with, you know, with coaching. And, and again, I really try and articulate my information well. And sometimes it comes out, if anybody doesn't follow me on Instagram and ridiculously long posts <laughs> or long rants, because I'm not trying to be wordy. I honestly, the sad part is I'm always trying to keep things as concise as possible. But with the nature of coaching and training and information is obviously if I'm a coach, I'm, I'm one person of the equation. There's the actual nuts and bolts of information I'm trying to articulate. And then there's someone else having to receive it. And it's for those reasons, same as, you know, great coach, obviously, like Milos would say is like, there can't be 100% right or wrong information, you know, if that's what exists, because there's the information, there's how I'm articulating it, how I'm trying to get someone to do it here, do it, how I'm explaining it, how I'm trying to put it through that filter of what you actually do in the gym. And then there's the other person receiving it. And like I said, in the beginning, same for me, where I choose to do like coaching and continuing education. I've got to have the buy-in from someone that I like, you know, I, I look at this person as an expert of, they have this knowledge, they have this application, some adherence to it themselves. And so sometimes it's not just the information, you know, it's, there's a lot else that goes into it when there's, when there's people involved. Then that being said, who would you say has been the, the biggest influence in your career and who you've learned the most from? I mean, uh, for sure, I would say overall would be, would be Tom Purvis. Uh, so Tom Purvis is the guy that created RTS and he's like, uh, I hate to put him where I say he's got a similar just thought process in the way that he articulates and does things. Um, I just really relate to it. Um, I think he's just like a much smarter version of myself, uh, but there's something about it that's similar. Um, and so from the actual nuts and bolts, like everything that I have from the vast majority of information I have on biomechanics um, has basically come through him, has come through his course, but it's the bigger stuff where it's um, the way that he articulates his information um, the way that he kind of provides a framework for it, um, the way that he will, he's been doing it for so long, basically challenges, you know, your, uh, your actual understanding or reasons why you do things like, are you doing things stemming from emotion? Or are you actually doing things stemming from a solid base? And, uh, and again, I can use myself as a bunch of different examples. Like I remember the first time I heard him speak, I felt like he had this hour long setup to get out like this one point. And even at the time, I mean, I was happy to be there and happy to learn, but I was like, man, that was just kind of that seemed excessive. And then again, years later, as I thought about it, like the more people you've been around, the more situations, the more context, like you need all that framework. Otherwise it's not actually accurate. And again, this is in like a setting of like a course where you're actually trying to teach accurate information. And then there's been a bunch of different times where like we'll be in class or in course and I'll say something or I'll ask a question and he'll ask another question. And if you're, if you're sensitive, you could take the straightforwardness of the question he asks or whatever it is, is um, you get emotional, you get defensive about it, which I, I still have a little bit of that inside of me or I had, but he really would just actually make you think like, why am I actually doing these things? Why am I latched onto this? Why do I think that? Yeah. So from a education standpoint, from honestly, even how I communicate and try and coach standpoint, you know, the challenge of anything on social media is I always think anything I say or anything I write is going to be, actually bad information for someone um they're gonna they're gonna take it the wrong way um either get defensive about it or apply it in, incorrectly or whatever so some of it is i'm just trying to realize that there's no perfect information but try and put information out in a way that's going to benefit the most people so for me yeah, from the way i communicate just on paper education um he's absolutely been probably the biggest uh, a lot of the stuff that i use actual usable nutrition supplementation a lot of that came from Baldwin. Uh, from a big from a training standpoint like i said is uh I had always liked training hard, um, but when I started training hard with Ben, uh, Ben Pikulski consistently for a while, that was the first, that really elevated my level of training hard. Because uh, especially, I mean, there were where I can look back unemotionally and say over there were a year or two at times I was training with him when I was actually overtraining, but it was good. You know, I needed to, no one actually goes to that place to actually realize everyone just now speculates that they're going to overtrain and is fearful of it and is probably nowhere near it. There was actually a point where like, 
I, I couldn't progress certain body parts. And it was how much I was working in a whole lot of life stuff at that point in time as well, too. Uh, but anyway, so it's, uh, and I, I, I think he would say too, the past few years that we're at MI40, aside from just liking to beat the shit out of each other and hurt each other in the gym, there was a progression where, you know, hard training is always a combination of things. You know, it obviously has to be with loads that are challenging relative to yourself, obviously with some degree of form and execution, uh, but then really knowing how to take things to and past failure um, and intelligent ways to extend sets, one that could have a training stimulus benefit, but also to just will physically, you know, kind of put you at your limit. Um, so, and that's massive for me. Cause like I said, the, you know, the information is great. The way I communicate information is great, but I really, I try and pride myself still to this day in, in training really hard. And again, as much as life allows, just small ups and downs, the same as everybody else. Um, but I think again, if you don't actually, if your actions aren't actually in line with what you want people to do, you know, it's really tough for you even to, again, properly sort information that I'm trying to gain along the way. So those are some of my biggest influences. Um, and honestly, it's one of those things, I don't know if it's because I'm old and emotional and nostalgic or just, uh, I don't know what it is, but I mean, I could, I could probably list off 30 people. I mean, it's the end of the day, I can't help but do the same stupid stuff that everybody does sometimes where I kind of complain about social media a little bit, some of the negative things about it. Uh, but it's just the most amazing tool ever for connecting people. Um, because again, with literally on the day-to-day -day basis where there's coaches, if I'm ever looking on Instagram, it's kind of my friends or peers or coaches. And I genuinely like to see what they've got going on. Um, but then also too, it's connected me with people that's led to me, you know, meeting up with people or, you know, actually getting on calls with people or doing seminars with people and that kind of stuff. So, uh, and it's an amazing thing. Cause again, I've had so much influence over the past couple of years from, from so many other coaches and educators and just athletes that I, that I have a huge amount of respect from. So it's cliche, but I, I take something a little bit from, from everybody for sure. I think that's one of those things you are an accumulation of every single person you meet in your life and that's what experience is. So it's, yeah. it's just making sure you try and have as many of those amazing people in your life as you can do and you'll be the best person you can be ultimately. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. Um, so you, you briefly mentioned in terms of obviously training, what's your thoughts in terms of training style? Like in the UK, there's quite a heavy movement for like progressive overload in terms of like optimal strength at almost all costs with a lot of people you see in terms of like execution yeah. exercise. What's yeah. your thoughts of that versus more like time under tension, focusing more under more execution and control slightly? Yeah, honestly, um, overall, because it's JP leading the movement yeah. over there in the UK. Um, and the funny thing is, you know, I, I wouldn't speak for JP because maybe he'd say something the other, way, the other way around. But, I mean, him and I are always majority on the same page. I mean, he's one of the guys, again, I would say is a good, a massive positive influence on me. And just like overall the good things about bodybuilding. I mean, stemming from, I, I would say the things that he preaches and pushes are probably the most important prerequisite to actually getting results. Would you say um, which is, misinterpreted quite heavily? Yeah, for sure. But if I look at two things, I mean, this is going to oversimplify it and I'll try and bring it home in less than a half an hour. <laughs> um, you know, but there's, there obviously there's the, there's the kind of camps where there's a misinterpreted view is something that just progress weight at all costs yeah. um, and work really hard. And um, the people that misinterpret that just progress weight at all costs, regardless of what they are doing, their body's doing, or even the trained muscle is doing. But the thing that I like about that side is it's, it's, a, it's the hardest part to teach is people to actually um, inflict pain upon themselves, get out of their comfort zone, and constantly push. And I, and I tend to find that, again, that's the most important prerequisites. People either get that part or they don't. So Because on the other side of it, you have kind of the execution and the form people. And, um, and the problem I'll see with some of those is I've, I've worked with a lot of them. It's great. They're very happy about how clean and pretty and controlled everything is but they never put any weight on the bar. And um, so the way that I try and look at things, honestly, is, um, you know, I just like the, the best that I possibly can, you know, un, unbiased, trying to take my ego out of it, which is impossible, but just kind of look at what someone is like the whole picture of what they're doing is, and just kind of always say like, well, what is the thing that we need to produce a change and progress their body? And um, the way that I look at that from the on paper kind of dumbed down, you know, physiology standpoint is I actually like to think like, what is the actual muscle doing? I mean, that sounds overly simple, but that's really what I look at is what is the trained muscle doing? Um, and ultimately is I like to visualize, you know, cause if, if it seems like the thing that people agree upon the most is it's actual intramuscular force that is the catalyst 
for if your recovery is in place, hopefully hypertrophy, you know, once the session is done. And so intramuscular force literally meaning, obviously, if you've got, this is even not quite the whole picture, but basically I imagine if you had little scales on an origin and insertion of a muscle, registering how much force is that actual bone-to-bone -bone pull on an individual muscle, I want that number to be ultimately for someone, the amount, so there is a dose dependence, which if you want to call it, I kind of hate the term time under tension. <laughs> Because whether it's accurate or not, people just envision somebody going really, really slow and really, really squeezing, and they don't really think about weight. They don't really think about effort. They think about, oh, look, at that was occurring for X amount of time. Time under tension and volume, in my opinion, are the same thing. Um, so again, you could have someone that does the, – the purpose of time under tension is just that you're actually using your muscles. I mean, somebody could do 10 reps of a curl, and it could be – you know, maybe of the 10 reps of the amount of time they're doing it, 10% of the time their bicep is working. And the other 90% of the time, they're using their whole body, they're using momentum, they're using bouncing, and they're swinging all over the place. Um, so it's just like, okay, well, for a person like that, I'd be like, yeah, well, you need to actually think about something like time under tension, like actually make it hard on your muscle the whole time. Um, and that's a component of volume, because that's why someone, there could be two different people doing 10 reps, but a completely different thing occurring at the muscle. Not only could the muscle not be producing as much force, might not be producing as much force the whole time, it might not be through the entire range of motion. Um, so getting back to that's what I look at is, okay, if I'm going to go into the gym and I'm going to train a muscle, I want as much force production from that muscle as humanly possible, given the activity of training at that point in time. And so if you think about what can actually cause that, the same example, if someone's bouncing through the range and I look at they're trying to take their elbow through 90 degrees of flexion, and if I actually kind of like could just separate their arm from their body and look at the dumbbell and what's going on, a lot of people could be bouncing and swinging and doing shit so much that maybe this small range of motion, you know, basically is their actual force production. Um, so by doing the form stuff and the time under tension stuff, you could essentially kind of double the volume that someone is doing with one rep by making sure that they're actually using the muscle through the entire range of motion. Same thing with better exercise selection. There's some exercises that are hard, you know, for honestly 10% of an exercise's range of motion. And the other 90%, honestly, in my opinion, is just waste. So it really comes down to... Have you got an example of any exercises like that? Or anything yeah, you've overrated? I hate to pick on it because everybody... It's just such an easy example. Um, but I always look at like the dumbbell lateral raise. And everybody knows this. I, I give the example of like, imagine... Or even another example, honestly. Not that these are in... I'll stick with the dumbbell lateral raise. But I mean, it's uh, if you look at how very simple muscle physiology is muscles are you know strongest in kind of their mid-range they're the next strongest kind of in their length and range and they're the weakest when the muscles are fully shortened and fully contracted so if you're coming up and doing a lateral raise anyone that kind of knows it you don't even have to understand moment arms and torque and all that shit it's hardest at the top basically gets progressively harder as you go up and up and up to the top of the range of motion so it gets progressively harder as your muscle gets progressively weaker. So if you look at, I say universally, you go into any gym in the entire world and you watch the way that people do dumbbell lateral raises, it's like a shit show. I mean, everybody, it's like everybody went to school to learn how to do bad form on that exercise together. Because again, anywhere on the globe, everybody does the same shit. And you're gonna see one of two things. You're gonna see somebody using a weight that they can actually handle at the top. So somebody doing 10 pounds and they're squeezing at the top. But if you're actually only, if you can control 10 pounds at the top, it essentially means you're under-training your muscle for the other 80 degrees of the range of motion. So even if you're going light and you're controlling the range where you can actually use your muscles, the rest is still a waste. It's a waste because of under-training. Now, if somebody feels that they can actually use a dumbbell from the bottom that's heavier or they're stronger, you know, they could get something moving for the first 10 or 20 degrees, and then basically it's the shit show after that. As people bend their elbows, they externally rotate, they rock their whole body. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The, everything comes in. It's a total body exercise. <laughs> um, so again, that's why it's one of two things. It's either you use a weight you can at the top, maybe train just this very small range of motion, or it's from the bottom. Maybe you're training maybe the bottom part of the range, and then it's just momentum and an athletic movement after that to get a weight up high. So it's exercises like that too, and I know – Someone's going to get mad listening to that, and the reason they'll get mad is because they do lateral raises, you know, and that's the, the joke of human nature is, uh, I think it's even funny, it's uh, just in a recent stand-up, you watch uh, Dave Chappelle says something about everything's funny until it's about you, and so everyone, everyone likes learning and like doing things, oh, that's smart, he's saying these things I agree with, until I challenge an exercise that you do, and you're like, ah, fuck that guy, I hate him, he's full of shit, he overthinks <laughs> everything, and if a lot of people really think, and I'm in the same boat, if I, there's things that I feel good about, okay, these are the principles that I know and this is that. 
and it's great. And I like to listen to smart people until somebody challenges something that I say. And I'm like, ah, oh, guys, maybe he doesn't always talk about, or at least have some degree of that same emotional response. And then hopefully I just try and get less and less and less of that over the course of my life till I actually listen to people. And sometimes, like I said, I'll put information in my brain and I might leave it there for hours, days, weeks, not really compartmentalizing it as, oh, this is good, this is bad, this is right, or this is wrong. I'll just let it sit there. And I joke sometimes I, I might never know what the hell to do with that, and it might be because I'm too dumb, or I might never know what the hell to do with it because it never really actually has any application you know, for what I do or who I'm trying to work with. So coming back to that, trying to answer that in less than a half an hour, um, you know, form, exercise selection, control, all that kind of sh that shit. And for me, that's, uh, that's just an attempt to standardize volume. Um, and again, people, that's why I think volume is everyone's kind of overly concerned about that. Because again, for that same example, someone could do 10 reps of an exercise and someone could do 10 reps of the same exercise and someone could literally be doing a 10th of the work or the same if you want it in other terms, a 10th of the volume. So again, you have to standardize one rep first. And that's why sometimes you can make such a massive change in people's physique by improving form is because really you're just changing the volume of one rep. Um, so, and again, what the hell is the point of that with good exercise selection, good control, you're just increasing that the demands of bone to bone pull. You're making that individual muscle produce more force through more of a range of motion and you're not using other shit. Um, but then at the end of the day, one of the easiest ways to produce a large amount of force is the heaviest loads that you can possibly tolerate. And so that's where the other component comes in. You know, I think the order is good to standardize form first, get something that is unchanging. And then the best adaptive process after that, if you get, in, if you want more force production, is increasing loads over time. Do you have um, so a rep range you like to sit in in terms of talking about increasing loads? Like a sort of threshold you sit at six to 10 reps or? Yeah, I mean, I mean to be honest, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting thing because, um, not to get out there. So the, the short answer would be just so somebody's not like to shut up and tell me an answer. You know, five to eight, I think, is a great space or a great spot. But you'll see people that are kind of outliers on both sides of that. And again, I think it has to do with the way they're doing an individual rep. Again, because someone could do five reps and it could be so, you know, so spastic and so much momentum and so fast. And, you know, it'd be really technically maybe elicit the same dose dependent response from just doing one rep of someone else with good form. So someone would be like, oh, I never found anything from that lower rep range of five. You know, I need to do 20. It's like, well, the way you do shit, you might have to do 20 to get the same thing that I do with five. Um, so it's an interesting where The amount of tension they're putting on the muscle is so small because the, it's just momentum. Yeah. So, I mean, it's when you talk about the – that's the thing where, again, I, I think time under tension is an important component because, again, there is a dose. So at the end of the day, if there's, if there's a number of how much force is this muscle actually pulling on a bone-to-bone, -bone, you, could, you could have that maximum force production – but if you only had it for the time it takes one rep, I don't think it seems like that produces hypertrophy, right? So it's like, yeah, I could do, I could go in the gym and I could hit a PR. And if you thought force was the only thing that actually made your body progress, then one reps would be enough to progress your body. But there is some dose dependence in that where there's a component of volume. But again, I think the big take home is people don't, people don't standardize. People talk in volume and, and reps and sets, um, but form and execution and exercise selection is the thing that standardizes volume first. That's the base of volume is what does one rep look like. And so again, it's the difference of, again, I hate to say the time thing because just what people associate that with, but if I do one controlled rep, you know, maybe depending if the exercise selection is good, the range of motion I'm training a muscle, maybe I could have near maximum force production for five seconds. And it seems like maybe that we need that to happen for five reps worth. So it could be who knows how many seconds that is. I don't think that's necessarily worth figuring out. But there is, yeah, there is some sort of dose component that has to go along with it. There is some sort of volume that has to accompany, you know, that amount of force production. And so that's kind of where I, I kind of look at those things is where if you kind of make, can make it, maybe make sort of that whole mess of shit I just said is, um, you know, you need to standardize a rep. All, that's the way I look at form execution. The only other component of all that is so you don't hurt yourself. You know, it's actually going to the train muscle. That's the other issue with just progressive overload is I've seen people that can bench press, you know, five plates for eight and not use their pec. You know, there's still a goal of, I always say, you know, load is only as valuable as it is well-directed. You know, so again, there's the form and execution component. There's a component that makes sure that whatever you're putting in your hand is going to a trained muscle. Then there's another component that's, okay, make sure you're not injuring yourself. So again, make sure it's adhering to whatever joint mechanics are that are involved. And then the rest of it is just dose dependent. So it's, again, making sure that if I'm producing X amount of force, 
that it's first some sort of amount of time that's actually going to elicit hypertrophy. So it's, you know, every rep is working the whole time, you know, the range is working the whole time. And then from there, you need that progressive component to it with load and then effort. I think there's a big component of as far at some point, how close to failure, potentially how far past failure and all that stuff with what is, what amount does someone need for stimulus? That's all individual dependent. I mean, that can literally, there's a million different factors that go into that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think like, I think people overcomplicate things a little bit. Like one thing I like to say, sometimes a bit of a weird phrase, but like what's doing what? So like whenever you're doing any exercise, think about what muscle is actually contracting and like what's yeah. the point of what you're trying to achieve. Because I think a lot of people just think A to B yeah. and really consciously think about what they're trying to do, which is probably the biggest mistake they make. For sure, yeah. Yeah, and especially in the bodybuilding world. I mean, it's like that in the days, again, it's the, the good thing about even working with um, bodybuilders as opposed to athletes, as opposed to general population, the good thing that most actual bodybuilders get is the realization that it's, um, it's an internal thing. You know, you're, you're training, yeah, you're holding on to this external stuff, but it's with the goal of making things as internally as hard as possible. Where again, you imagine someone that's just, you know, a Mrs. Jones client that wants to lose 40 pounds. I mean, that, from having trained so much general population, it's some of them never think that way ever. It's just really hard to like, okay, I got to get up and down from here to there. I got to move this from here to there. And, um, and ultimately, again, depending on the goal, you might not never need to take it to the bodybuilding type level, but that's one of the funny things with like normal people is just trying to shift them from an external focus, A to B type thing to at least some degree of internal focus. And I would argue the more advanced you try to get, the more you need to be able to know that you're making that shift. And that's what I find with a lot of, a lot of bodybuilders have that inherent, you know, they know if they can get through something and they move from A to B. X amount of times, but they'll be pissed getting out of a set sometimes because they know they honestly made it easier on themselves than they could have. Um, so yeah, that's especially for that beginner intermediate crowd. There's a big disconnect sometimes with, like you said, focusing on the A to B and not on actually what the hell is doing what, or am I just trying to make this as hard as I can for whatever you're training? In terms of um, like training frequency and overall splits, have you found like an optimal overall split that you tend to recommend for most of your clients, or is it very much person dependent on? Yeah, it's all, it's always person dependent. Um, and it's one of those things, it's always a double edged sword now where it's like, um, I, I tend to overthink things more than other people. Meaning I, I, I really hate saying things definitively yeah. um, because again, I like we explained in the beginning. I just don't think that's the way that it works. But at the same time, some people are like, just tell me what to do. You know, it's like me giving all these principles and all these concepts to the normal person is like, well, that doesn't help me at all. Just tell me what to do. So at some point in time, you know, people want to have something written on paper or given some direction to go. So I think for that reason, there's a lot of discussion now, it seems more than ever, um, about splits. But I don't think it's that complicated. I mean, I really think that's one of the few things that someone does need to either get with a good coach and trust them to have a decent start point, or they do need to kind of get their head around some concepts and, and try and kind of figure out for themselves, realizing that splits aren't that big of a deal. I mean, that's the biggest thing. If I look again over the course of whatever me just being aware of people getting in good shape, uh, that's, it's a very, very small component of it, you know? So, so 99% of it, maybe not that high, whatever, 90% of it, I'll make up a stat, you know, it's people that are just willing to actually, you know, work hard within sets, within sessions, and they do something progressively and consistently. And that's the reason we saw, you know, in Arnold's day, you know, people built tremendous physique, sometimes training their whole body every day. Some of those guys train half body, half body. They would train their whole body three times a week. You know, then we saw obviously kind of in the 90s, things started to progress more towards the, the modern bro split body part at a time. Now we're kind of having a little bit of a shift back where there's more, you know, um, emphasis on doing maybe a push pull or even half body, total body, whatever. And the reality is, personally, I haven't seen a massive difference in physiques um, as a whole as a result of these subtle shifts because the best physiques in the world and the people that make the best progress do those other things very well. It's not necessarily dependent on their split. But then today, there's just components of, you know, I think the idea of train things as often as you can recover from them is a great principle. I think from a bodybuilding standpoint, something that people still shit the bet on, um, and even advanced level people, just because of emotional attachment to maybe the way they think they need to train or how they've always trained, is really prioritizing. And at the same time, you prioritize, deprioritize body parts. Um, so again, if you really have a priority body part, I mean, that's the nature of bodybuilding. Yes especially for beginners and intermediates, you just need to put as much tissue on as possible um, because you just, you know, you don't know what your imbalances are because you don't have enough muscle to actually tell. <laughs> um, 
Um, but as you get it more into the advanced stages, I truly believe there's people that could put five pounds of tissue on the right places and have it look better than just 10 pounds of tissue the same way it's been going on the course of their career. Um, so there is a balanced component to bodybuilding. It's in my opinion, not just to be as massive as humanly possible. And the thing that number one mistake that people make again, even at the advanced level is no one ever wants to deprioritize anything. I mean, the true nature of if you, if training is a stimulus and if, if you're advanced, you pretty much, you would hopefully think you're at your maximum level of stimulus, which is the maximum amount of stuff that you can do to your body and still recover from it. So your stimulus is maxed, your recovery is maxed. And then someone says, oh, I want to bring up my legs. I want to bring up my arms. And so the general thing that most people do is they just lay more stimulus down on top of it. So they take the split, yeah, they take their split and like, oh, I'm just going to add some legs on this day or whatever it is this day. And the reality is you can't, you can't add something without taking something. And so that's the biggest thing that people are unwilling to do is if you are going to truly prioritize something, you have to truly deprioritize something at the same time. Otherwise, you're not going to have a big change. So there is that component. And, um, and I think that can have just some relatively kind of unconventional things happen with your split where it's like, oh, I feel like I have to do this. I have to do that. And everybody gets so worked up about splits. I was like, no one, no one, else, no one actually ruins their body in a short period of time from the wrong split either. So I'll have people all the time be like, hey, is this a good split? And I'm like, uh, well, let's do it and find out. I mean, that's the end of the day for the most part is you have to do it for, I don't know, at least six weeks to maybe have some idea of what's going on. And um, so that's a big thing. I've had a couple of people that I've worked with that, you know, seemingly produce a drastic change in their body. And it's even when I've done it with some people, I was like, hey, here's how we're doing your program. Here's your split. And people just kind of like look at deer in the headlights. And they're like, I'm only training that that many times. I'm training this this many times. Is that okay? And, um, and in my opinion, that produces the most drastic changes sometimes from season to season with people or year to year with people. And, um, and it's just, and then and my whole thing with the whole umbrella with all that, the tough part with this is, you know, you still got to have your, not everyone's goal is to be the best bodybuilder or have the most balanced physique they can have. Because I'll even put myself in all that stuff that I just said on paper is the right answer, but I'll put myself in, I do want to be a good bodybuilder personally, but for me, my overwhelming main thing I want to get out of training is I want to enjoy training, even more so than the response I, I changed from my body. Because anyone that's ever seen any of my pictures competing, I generally am still always pretty, you know, my upper body is smaller than my lower body. And I've done periods of time where I've gone as, you know, as little as training my legs, like every 10 days is like the least that I can deprioritize it. But then I just feel like I'm not even working out. I mean, it's like when people say that they train hard, Unless you're referring to leg day, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. No one trains hard on arms or chest day. It's just, it's just not hard. And so that's for me, if I don't feel like I'm training hard, I don't, I don't enjoy my training as much. So for me, I'm always like, well, I could potentially be a better bodybuilder. But, you know, one, I don't, I don't make a living being a professional bodybuilder or a competitive bodybuilder. And I like to really enjoy my training. So even though I might not have as balanced of a physique on paper, you know, I'm trying to balance all of my goals as much as I can. Um, and so again, if someone's, job is professionally dependent on being the best bodybuilder they can, then sometimes you just got to say, Hey, suck it up. And you know, you got to do what you got to do. I think it comes to like, there's a lot of truth in that and like doing what you enjoy because ultimately I like, I'm a big believer in it terms of like exercise selection as well. Like if you don't like squatting, don't squat, do yeah. a squat or leg press. Cause like chance if you enjoy the exercise, you probably connect with it more and you can push sure. yourself further and you're not going to turn up being like, oh, fuck, I squat today when you don't yeah. want to do it. And you, you chance are you push yourself a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's the stuff that, uh, I mean, I've had people come through like seminars or courses I've done, you know, we'll teach some principles, you know, you're teaching a principle to 20 people and then someone come up to me, you know, I might talk about something like, I remember having somebody come up to me and kind of whisper quietly, be like, Hey, well, I, I what about this deadlift doesn't fit with me? Like, what do I do? And kind of explaining like the, the, the right answer to them. I'm like, well, technically if you know, you run out of range of motion at your hips and you start to round your spine, that maybe deadlift off of just, you know, a three inch block or whatever it is. And they're like, man, but like, I really like deadlifting from the floor. Like they're telling me secretly, like, I'm going to say they're a bad person. And I was like, oh, so like, that's, you like deadlifting. You want to deadlift from the floor. Like it's your sport. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, then just deadlift from the floor. Like we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. make it the best that we possibly can. And that's fine. I mean, that's like, people think like as much as I might explain and demonstrate some specific exercises sometimes or things that maybe look different or complicated, like, you know, if someone actually wants to have a conversation with me, <laughs> there's going to be pretty damn good reasons why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. Um, again, I'm not doing things just sporadically or for stupid reasons. But at the same time, I couldn't be less attached to everything that I'm doing. Uh, because again, I totally understand sometimes, I'll use, use an example of how uh, much I'm still just a lazy, horrible human being, is uh, we, we reset up when the new gym I'm at now, it's not even that new. I had a hack squat set up 
And I like one of my favorite exercises is reverse band hex. And I'd attached a band and hooked it on the way that I wanted. And I went and I started, uh, you know, I would train on it and do some sets. And it became pretty apparent that the percentage of the load that I really wanted to have changing wasn't quite enough. So really, I needed to add one more band. And honestly, just out of like sheer laziness, I just kept letting it go for like weeks on end. Literally, we're just doing a slightly inefficient exercise because I'm just the lazy meathead that just doesn't like, you know, hooking shit up and putting bands on stuff. Like when people like tell me like, man, it's just such a waste of time. Oh, it just makes me mad. Oh, I hate it. I'm like, I completely get it because I'm lazy and I'm grumpy. All the shit, so much shit that I do, I hate doing. Like I don't like making exercises. I don't like anything that takes more than two seconds. I just want to go into the gym and get under the bar the same as everybody else. But at some point in time, I said, that's when I have the trade-off of like, okay, this is where the whole results thing is kind of more important. And so I literally, it's funny to me because somebody brought it to my attention. Finally, after being lazy for no apparent reason, I took the 90 seconds it took to find another mm -hmm. band attached it the way that I wanted. And it's been, you know, exponentially better there. And I had somebody that people watch everything that I do. And they're like, hey, why'd you change the band from that to that? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, it should have been there the whole time. I'm just massively lazy. So I let it go for six weeks or whatever it is. So that's the funny, I mean, that's the benefit of, again, I say with being first and foremost, just a meathead and doing all the same shit that every other meathead is being lazy, being impatient, just wanting to pick things up and put things down. I understand why some people don't like some of the things that I do or the exercises that I recommend. And then at the end of the day, it's fine. I mean, it's when people tell me like, oh, I don't want to do that. It takes too long. I'm like, and it, depending on who I'm with, I even have some people that I, I train. It's like, well, you really should never do this exercise because it's going to wreck your elbows. And they're like, well, I really like doing that one. And if it's someone whose job is professionally <laughs> to have longevity and a great physique, and I'm like, well, I might impart upon them the seriousness of it. But like, well, you need your elbows. You know, if you want to be doing this 10 years from now, you want that body part to look for the way you still want it to look. You don't want tissue degeneration and scar tissue and shit. Uh, but even after that point, like I'm done with it. Like I would never watch somebody doing an exercise that I told them not to do and be like, well, look at that person. I'm mad at them. Like, I don't care. Everyone's like, I make the choice like, yeah, I'm like, if somebody wants to run with scissors, like, have at it. I don't care. That's not my job. And uh, and I look, I get people online all the time. It's the nature of people, like, telling other people to me. Like, people I don't know, I'll get tagged all the time. Like, hey, look at this guy's form. Look at this person's doing. And I'm like, I don't know this person. Like, I don't I don't know what they're doing. The you know, weird society to, we live in. Yeah, and the, the joke that I, I used to see is, like, I used to work in, uh, you know, one of the gyms I worked at, just, like, during the middle of the day, the population, the average population in the club was probably over 65, so elderly population, retired population, and I used to laugh. Some of these, I'd see guys that would come in the gym, and um, they'd walk out on the gym floor, and they might be out there for, like, you know, 10 minutes, and, like, nine of it was, like, sitting on machines, waiting between. And I remember there'd be the, the thing that's ingrained in my brain is the machine that's, like, a calf raise machine. But yeah. like I'd see an old guy using it as like a leg press, you know, so he's moving his hips and knees through like five degrees range of motion. Then he just sits there for 10 minutes. And then, so like he might, he might do that for three sets and then go, go sit in the sauna for 30 minutes or whatever. And then he goes home for the day. And the joke is I'm like a half wonder. I'm like, is he telling his wife like, yeah, I'm going to go to the gym or whatever. And then I'm like, well, on paper as being the purest that I am a trainer, I'm like, well, that's not effective. That's not blah, 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 whatever. And I was like, well, there's some other old guy that's just going to the bar at 11 a.m. He's like, yeah, yeah fuck it. I'm just going to go start drinking every single day. Yeah, exactly. We're doing something else. I'm like, hey, this guy's getting out of the house. He at least walked into the gym. He's walking around. He did use a muscle for some degree or some range of motion. And so that's like the extreme example is like, I, that's good for that old guy, man. He's not doing something bad. That's for sure. And that's the same as everybody. Like I would literally, I've seen so many people in gyms that are just in there. As long as they're not hurting others or abusing equipment, just having fun. And, um, and that's fine. That's a fine hobby for some people. Have fun in the gym. Um, again, if you, you know, if you're really concerned about it, just know the repercussions that are going to come along with it. Just we'll start to sort of wrap something up, things up. So just the last few questions in terms of, um, with your clients, when they come to you, I imagine a lot of them come with like specific goals in mind to bring up a certain body part, like shoulders, for example, how yeah, would no. you look to try and improve your body partners? A client is it again, trying to like emphasize training frequency on that body part and probably training execution and so yeah, exercise. So I mean, for sure. So, I mean, if there's a general, so it's always individual dependent. I mean, one thing I'll look at with people first is because my realm is training. Obviously, is what do we actually do in the gym? But you still always have to take a step back. Obviously, growing muscle and actually putting tissue is still the simplified version of this process of there's the stimulus and there's the recovery. You know, so I at least need to take some time and assess the person's whole situation and make sure that recovery is not the issue because sometimes that is the issue. And if I'm doing something, most of the time when I'm changing someone's training, 
it's adding more stimulus. It might be specifically just to one muscle group or one body part through improvement of form or whatever, or frequency, like you said. Uh, but you still need to make sure it's that same thing. If, like, if they're already maxed out in recovery, we might have to figure out something with that first. But then, yeah, from there, it's, uh, I, I think, again, the way that I look at my brain is I, I standardize a rep. And that is you look at execution, you look at form first. And always depending on the individual, you know, if somebody comes to me, and I'll have people all the time where it's like their form is, again, making up a percentage, 90% of the way there. So we'll standardize a rep, you know, maybe get that extra few percentage, make it a little bit better, a little bit more stimulus from just improving form. But then from there, yeah, it might go right to training frequency. So as then we look at how often are they training it. If it's really a priority body part, well, let's build your program around that body part. You know, so we build their split around how often can you recover from training this muscle. Let's put that in first and foremost, and then we'll kind of build the rest around that. But you kind of get everything in between where there's somebody that if they come to me, their form is so horrible um, that basically me changing their form, even if I don't change anything on paper, even if it's like, okay, we're not adding any sets, any reps, any whatever, it could have the same effect as doubling, tripling, quadrupling their volume just by getting three or four times as much out of each individual rep. So for someone like that, it might be like, let's just change this, implement this, implement that directly into the program that you're doing right now and see what happens um, before we address something maybe like frequency. Uh, because at the end of the day, the assumption, again, if recovery is not there, there's something not occurring from a stimulus standpoint. And I still always adhere to the idea that we want to do as little as possible to produce as much result as possible. So it's instead of like, if someone's form was so bad, if I address form, and frequency and training volume, then I would just be kind of changing too many things at once. Uh, so I do like the idea of, you know, let's make one change, see what happens, and then you could leave it from there. So that's kind of the approach. And then obviously there's a whole mess of in between there, again, when you have an individual person and what they've actually got going on. 100%, that's a great answer. Uh, one last question. So yeah. um, what are the three biggest things you wish you knew at the start of your career when you were building, looking to build muscle onto your frame and training people? Yeah, man. Um, you know, that's kind of the, I hate the answer that a lot of people have um, because it's cliche. I think some things are cliche because they're, they're accurate. I mean, so a whole lot of stuff, it's the answer where they're, if I tell you could go back in time, sure, I'd change some stuff. I don't really regret it. Um, but some of the stuff is like, it's through mistake and it's through me being bad at putting on muscle that I help learn a lot of things and figure out a lot of stuff. But even that being said, I mean, a couple of things I would change, honestly, most would be professionally. Um, I tell people this all the time is you don't realize how much time that you have to do stuff and people just aren't efficient with their time. And, um, and again, even being efficient by planning your time that you don't want to do any work. So again, if that's my goal, because people can sometimes take this message of work harder, work more efficient and imply that I'm saying, you know, work a hundred hours a week and that's the only way to be successful. It's that kind of you know, that grind mentality, the team, no sleep. I think largely that's bullshit unless there's something really, really important. I mean, I think that some, at some point in time to kind of overcome, you know, obstacles or get to the next level, you can have periods of your life that you have to work a hundred hours a week and do stupid shit. But I have a hard time relating with people that feel like you need to live your whole life like that. That's just personally. Uh, but I say that because there's been times like when I look at how much more I could have done in college, how much more I could have done um, right out of school. Even when I was, I got to a point when I was training, probably in between managing, managing my clients, I was training 70, 80 hours a week. Um, but before I had kids, it's like, man, I could have actually been a little bit more efficient with my time. And all that I mean with that is just really look at the stuff that makes a big difference and spend more time doing that. Like I could have got more continuing education earlier on. Um, and time and finances are kind of similar. So I, I look at a lot of trainers that they won't get any continuing education. They won't go to seminars. They won't consult with someone because they don't have time or they feel like they don't have money. And obviously trainers, time is money, you know, cause it's like, oh, I got to take two days off to go to the cert. And then I'm also losing two days worth of money because I'm not training people. But some of that stuff is just get out of your comfort zone and realize you can do more than what you can. And especially when you're investing money in yourself or as a trainer, as I joke, it's like, just go into debt if you really have to, or stop doing dumb shit. I mean, the people that say that they don't have money, you know, I could look at they're spending $10 a day on stimulants. Um, you know, they're spending $30 a day on eating out because they're lazy. The same people that don't have, say they don't have time. I was like, well, get rid of TV, get rid of Netflix, get rid of all that shit. Tell me how much time. Yeah, yeah, tell me how much time you've created. And again, I don't care. I'm not implying that any of that stuff is bad. But if, if you're saying you don't have time and you're still doing those things, then you're just not, you know, it's one of those things, your actions aren't matching what you're yeah. saying. Nobody treats yourself. 
Yeah, exactly. And so that's one of those things where it's, I tell people when I first moved to Tampa and started working with Ben, it's one of the things that Ben told me is he just said, I say one of the things that made a massive difference at that point in time in my career is he said, get rid of your TV. And I did. I had, um, I had three years where we had a TV that sat in our living room that wasn't plugged in and had nothing on it. And to the point where it's funny where my, my, when my son turned like two or something, he didn't realize what a TV did until we went to the grandparents' house and he saw the TV on. He's like, we've got one of those. And, um, and now I, do, I mean, now I have a TV, I've got three kids. And so, you know, I'm still like to have some lazy time and watch movies and all that shit. But at that point in time in my life, in my career, I didn't have any extra time for how much time I still wanted to spend with my family and my wife, for how much time I was investing in the gym with clients, doing some of my own stuff. I just had no extra time at that point in time. And I can literally look at those years of my life. I didn't, I didn't have any lazy time. I mean, I've had plenty of other times. So I look back at that when I look at, um, you know, when before I had kids and stuff, I could have got more education earlier on. I would have tell people to, this is kind of one end to, is pursue, you know, individuals a whole lot more. Um, in college, I wasted my first couple years. I wasted some of the curriculum where I basically had to relearn a lot of anatomy and physiology that I just got grades for and then forgot. Um, but I didn't start interacting with people involved in like the strength and conditioning program at Florida until my last two years, my last one year, really. And up there, man, it's so easy to get involved, like get a job somewhere, volunteer your time somewhere. When I was in college, like they're always looking for people for studies. Like at my last year, I volunteered to actually be like the person they're doing research on, you know, for whether they're testing, you know, stuff with muscles or reaction, whatever it is, like you could have your whole free time filled with being involved in research. And I was like, God, why didn't I do this more? I'm an idiot. And um, so just shit like that, where it's the, the benefit of using your time efficiently, find the people that like that, that's the person I want to be, or that's where I want to go. And we have more access to those people than ever. I mean, some of it for the most part is you can actually spend time, effort and money and go travel to that person individually. You can follow what that person does. I mean, I honestly like a lot of my friends and coaches, they have membership sites or pay sites, or they put free content out. That stuff is freaking great. And, I, and the same thing that I tell people do, like I'll do consultations with people where it's like, oh, let's pick your brain. Some people are nice and will talk to me for free. I'm always more than happy to talk to people and pay them for their time as well too. So we have access to that. I mean, you need to, that's, that's the whole disconnect for me. It took me so long from here's learning information school because I need to get grades and holy shit, I can actually apply some of this stuff and do some things with it. And people are the bridge for that, right? When you actually have people that are actually in a profession making a living with information. Um, so I wish I just would have done more of that early on. I mean, I'm glad that stuff clicked when it clicked. And the, and the last thing I'd say, honestly, is I would have uh, would have got on like social media sooner from a professional standpoint. <laughs> I, was one of those people, I was one of those people that just kind of had it made up to be something that it, that it wasn't. And it's a lot of because I would again, I'm like I'm kind of a purist. I didn't have social media in any form um, until like 2016, maybe something like that, yeah. which is like you know basically it's like your grandma. I think my grandma had social media before I did. And, um, and cause again, I thought it was, I just had kind of heard all the negative stuff. And again, being a purist of a trainer, I was like, I don't have time for that. I'm going to train my clients in person. You know, I'm a trainer that works with people in person. I'm, I'm again, an in the trenches trainer, I don't have time to be this kind of social media person. But then there's the dumb stuff is like, man, if you're actually doing stuff, all that it is, is just put a camera on 60 seconds a day. And then I joke with everybody like when you're pooping, then you just go type something down, you know, or write something. I mean, everyone's got time. They're just not doing shit. You don't have to do it when you're pooping. That's gross. But <laughs> when you're sitting on the couch, do it with the time that you're not watching Netflix. You know, so literally you write something about what you did. If you're a coach producing results, film it, take a picture of it, write about it, you know, talking to the camera about it. And that's all that social media is. And if you're actually doing something that produces results, it'll provide value for people and hopefully they'll want to hear more of it. And so I kind of wish I would have gone on that a little bit earlier, obviously, because again, for all the good things of social media, all the people it's allowed me to connect to earlier, um, you know, that would have been nice to get, get at earlier on. And then obviously from a physique standpoint, I mean, the only thing I would probably go back and change from my own personal training, um, would have just getting a better idea of what some exercises were doing to my body. Um, cause again, as much as there were times when I undertrained or under recovered or overtrained, or maybe didn't have the perfect split or perfect exercises, I don't really regret much of that. The only thing is there's a handful of exercises that I felt like I had to do that I just didn't have an idea of how they didn't fit at all with my what, structure. What, what were they of interest? I mean, for the longest time, it's a combination of uh, the exercises that wrecked me was flat barbell bench press. Uh, and it's a combination of one, even at this point in time, it's not the perfect fit for my structure, but I also didn't know how to make it fit. Like my bench press now, if I felt like doing it once a week or once a month, I'd be fine. But at the time, I didn't know. And then two, just understanding my structure a little bit. It's like I would have to work so much to make it fit 
that it's not worth it. And so I joke, I had, um, I've had more injuries before, before 22, 23 than I've had after. And again, all the shit that I'm dealing with now is from stuff that I did my first, you know, eight, 10 years of training. Um, so I've, I've, uh, combination of both through bench pressing and through other stuff. I tore a rotator cuff on my left shoulder. I separated the shoulder at one point in time as well, too. Um, I haven't had any issues with it in 10 years since I, you know, kind of improved exercises and all that kind of stuff. Um, but also my elbows um, are, are kind of wrecked from a lot of arm exercises I thought I had to do. And so again, it's, um, and again, I'm not saying these are bad exercises. So if you're watching this, relax. Uh, but for me, like skull crushers with any type of fixed bar, uh, any type of curl with a fixed bar, just kind of understanding like the nature of my shoulders uh, relative to my arms, the amount of internal external rotation I have in my shoulder joints, those exercises don't fit. Um, so it's just something that over time just slowly wrecked my elbows. And then a lot, uh, some of the stuff is just a little bit of overuse of some things. This is just splitting hairs. I mean, I already had, I played a lot of soccer growing up, so I kind of already had some tiny bit of overuse issues with my knees. And then compounded with just liking to completely trash my legs. <laughs> you know, I've got, I've got some, I've got some, that's probably one of the only things that I'm actually kind of worried about long-term is it's cartilage degeneration. Cause that's, you know, you don't grow cartilage back. I've got, I've got fingers crossed. For hopefully somebody makes something at some point in time. So I don't have to get my knees replaced 20 years from now because they're kind of in the early stages of um, not fantastic. And that was a combination again, soccer, the amount of soccer that I was playing was not technically healthy for your joints combined with the amount of leg volume I was doing, just liking to trash my legs. Uh, but everything else, the nice part is it's almost reversible or completely reversed. Like my shoulder's fine. My elbows are actually kind of moving in the right direction because most of that was tendon issues. So little stuff like that. Because honestly, you know, some of those body parts I could have, especially arms, I could have progressed way faster. Because you know, those are the things, things people don't realize if it bothers your joints, eventually it's going to decrease the quality of tissue of everything that connects to those joints. So again, you wreck your elbows, you can wreck some of that connective tissue. And, and honestly, the muscle quality tissue eventually goes down as well too, because again, it's through that connective tissue that you're transferring, transferring or not transferring first force to uh, muscles. So that's a little shit. That's probably the only stuff I would have gone back and hit myself because I did the shit that people, you know, 10 years of progressive overload with skull crushers and heavy straight bar curls and shit because I felt I had to do them. And um, fuck, man, just some of that stuff really, really was, it was just my elbows would get progressively worse and worse and worse. And I just didn't connect the dots, I guess, until a little too late. But it's funny you say that. I'm exactly the same on exactly the same exercises. I did exactly the same thing when I was younger because they were the exercises to do, like sure. bench and like skull crushes, really heavy. And yeah. you, you learn from these things. Yeah, and that's why I always use people example. One of my favorite human beings is there's this notion of not being hardcore if you don't do certain exercises, which is one of the main drives for people doing it. And that's why I talk so highly. I mean, he doesn't need me talking highly. I mean, he's got enough people doing it. But Dorian Yates, that's the thing I love so much about Dorian Yates is he embodies hardcore as far as heavy loads, progressive, this and that. But if you look, especially in the time of his training, how unconventional he was with exercise selection, where if something didn't fit, he just trashed it. I mean, the guy that, you know, he didn't do any free weight stuff aside from maybe deadlift variations for legs. I mean, the guy's like, well, squats do nothing for me, so I'm going to do hacks and leg press, which is like blasphemy for me back then. And um, even certain yeah, because he he idolized Tom Platts as well. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's like, but it's you got to you just got to figure that shit out. I mean, obviously, it doesn't for me. You don't need to be a super mechanics expert, but if you look at when I look at Tom Platts, there was never a person built with better dimensions and mobility between the, the between the ratios of his torso to his femur to his tibia and his ankle mobility. This guy was built to squat. He's always has the best structure for squatting of all time which is why he's, you know, he was what he was and he did what he did and he could make squats look the way that he did. And then you look at someone like Dorian and you're like, well, your femur's a little bit longer, you know, your torso's a little bit shorter. You're not built for squats. And he figured that out himself, luckily, because that he kept doing squats, he might have just wrecked his back and not really had big legs or who knows what. Um, so yeah, just stuff like that where I, I like that that's, again, the individuals, I think it's just so great um, because they can help some people get over that shit where it's like, well, all right, well, maybe if Dorian did squat, then it's okay. You know, maybe if he, you know, changed these exercises, then it's okay. And people need some of that because at the end of the day, I mean, results matter. Um, and, and, a, and a thought process being cool or being okay matters. And, um, and that's the nice part, again, of some of social media now is we've got people out there that are hardcore, training hard, and they can still use their brain, you know, and nothing bad happens, you know, nothing explodes. They don't lose all their gains. Um, <laughs> Totally sure that means. Um, thank you so much this today, Joe. Really, really, really appreciate it. Like, huge, huge. Amount. How can anyone find out some more information about you, what you do, and try and learn some tips and tricks from you? Uh, yeah, so on uh, Hypertrophy Coach on Instagram. That's it. Hypertrophy Coach on Instagram. Uh, and that's probably why I'm the most 
consistent uh, with social media content. Um, so again, I really put out a ton of stuff on there that I hopefully think is of value uh, pretty much daily. So that's the best if you just want to get some good free content. Same name, Hypertrophy Coach. I got some pretty good stuff on YouTube. I'm looking to hopefully kick that up a little bit more. Again, moving into the future now. Um, and then I also have, for anybody that really wants to nerd out, I have a website slash app that basically is just like a member content site. And, uh, and that's the same thing. All the links for all that stuff is in my bio and stuff on Instagram. Um, and the app is just Hypertrophy Coach, Google Play, App Store. And, uh, and basically, it's, that's the site and app is just kind of deeper access to my brain. So for people that like long-ass videos, deeper explanations, and a shit ton of workouts. I mean, that's the kind of nice bridge as well, too. I mean, there's literally hundreds of very complete workouts, you know, as far as everything written down, full videos that accompany how to do everything, and all that good stuff. Um, so if you like that stuff, um, it's good. It's cheap. You can cancel any time. Yeah, so I um I personally use your site quite a bit and take a huge amount from it as well. I know what you said earlier about like sometimes in terms of information you can only take so much at some points. It's only like yeah. you can only take snippets from it in each workout to try and learn from. But yeah. for anyone listening, there's huge amounts of value on that, so I'd highly recommend checking that out. Thank you, I appreciate that. Highly recommend checking that out. So um, thank you so much, John. I hope you have a great day and uh, enjoy the rest of the day over there in Florida. Yeah, thank you. You too. Thank you for having me on. <laughs>